coming up. I showed it to Brian. I said, I don't, I feel like I would have noticed if it was in the car before I got in there. Um, and so he had the idea to do a reverse image search. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. The Washington State Appeals Court reversed the cold case murder conviction against a man accused of killing a young Canadian couple in 1987. It's been more than two years since William Talbot was convicted of murder and sentenced to two consecutive life terms without parole. A decision from the State Appeals Court Monday announced that conviction has been reversed. And there's a scam out there known as Uber Vomit Fraud. We'll tell you what it's all about. It was going okay, just a regular Uber ride, and I got a receipt the next morning for a $150 charge. Out of the blue, no explanation. I couldn't find anything about it. Reed, let's start with the story you've been looking into, a court overturned, a cold case conviction. First off, what are the details of this cold case? What happened back in 1987? Yeah, this is a case from November of 1987. An 18-year-old woman named Tanya Van Quillenborg and her 20-year-old boyfriend, Jay Cook, Uh, They disappeared after leaving their home in British Columbia in Canada. They were planning to head across the U.S. border for what was supposed to be just an overnight trip to Seattle. Uh, But then, obviously, they didn't come home. Their family put together some search efforts. They reportedly even rented a plane to try to find the vehicle that the couple had been driving. But uh, they went days without any sign of the vehicle or of Tanya and Jay. And how did that search ultimately come to an end? Well, it, it ended, you know, the way that nobody was hoping that it would end. It was about a week later, Tanya Van Quillenborg's body was found north of Seattle down an embankment in a rural area, uh, and, and she had been shot in the back of the head. And uh, it, it turns out it was just her body at that location. Um, so Jay Cook was still missing for another couple of days. Uh, but then two days later, hunters found his body about 60 miles away, and he actually had a different cause of death. Authorities say that he was beaten and strangled. So just, you know, a horrific ending to that search for this young couple that was just out living their lives. And then to make things even more difficult from there, the case went cold and and stayed cold for about 30 years. But then decades later, as we've learned, the case eventually heats up again. At what point does that happen? And who ends up being arrested? So this arrest came in 2018. And perhaps unsurprisingly for anyone who listens to podcasts like this, it was genetic genealogy that led to that arrest. The suspect was a 58-year-old man named William Earl Talbot II, and he was from the Seattle-Tacoma area. And what happened was a genetic genealogist used a DNA profile entered into a database to identify distant cousins of the killer. The killer had left some DNA at the crime scenes. And from there, they built out a family tree and determined that the samples had to have come from a male child of William and Patricia Talbot. Their only son was William Earl Talbot II. Prosecutors say that investigators then were able to find a coffee cup that he discarded and tested that for DNA. And that was, according to investigators, a match for the samples from their crime scene. From there, William Earl Talbot is arrested. He maintains his innocence, goes to trial, and ultimately is convicted and sentenced to two life terms without the possibility of parole. All right, but as I mentioned at the beginning, the conviction has been overturned. How did that happen? Yeah, that's right. It was just this past Monday, an appeals court tossed the conviction due to juror bias. They found that one of the jurors from Talbot's trial should have been dismissed because according to court documents, she'd said 
She didn't know if she could be fair in a trial about violence against women. Undoubtedly, the, the victims' families are devastated uh, by the decision. Snohomish County Prosecutor Adam Cornell was surprised by this reversal. The court said it cannot conclude whether Talbot received a fair and impartial jury. The decision cites transcripts of juror number 40 being questioned during jury selection, saying, if there was some action taken towards a young woman, I might take that personally and not be able to be impartial. You think they, they were still okay to have been on that jury? What I, what I think is that that is an open question that the state Supreme Court, at least at first blush, has not yet determined. It wasn't overturned because of anything to do with the actual evidence that was presented at trial or anything like that. But nonetheless, as it stands, his conviction is reversed. And what we're waiting to find out now is what exactly comes next from here, if Talbot is going to be retried or if it could be appealed up to a higher court and, and we could get a different decision. We'll see. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us this this case. We'll be right back after the break with another story. Will, uh, what a story you've been looking into. You know, there's there's a lot going on in the world. I think the last thing that any of us wants to have to worry about is a rideshare scam, particularly a rideshare scam involving vomit, but but apparently that's a real thing that's been around for a few years. What uh, What's going on? Yeah, you know, you should be aware of it, right? Be, uh, Jeremy Hohola at KUSA in Denver actually brought this to my attention, story he was working on just a few weeks ago. Here's the introduction to his story that aired on KUSA 9 News in Denver. Uber vomit fraud is real. It's been around for several years. Drivers trying to commit fraud using fake vomit photos, hoping to gaslight someone into thinking they really did lose their lunch. And yeah, that really is... The general idea of this, but let me get into the specifics. He actually talked to a person who had been the victim of this scam or was almost the victim of this scam. Her name is Jada Porter, and she took a $22 Uber ride. The next day, she got an email, and the email had some language in it about an adjustment, a $150 price adjustment, because the driver claimed she vomited in his car. So Jada Porter knew that she didn't vomit in the car. So they spent hours just trying to get an answer from Uber. They said like a chatbot trying to get some information about this price adjustment, what was going on. Uh, but they had no luck really with Uber uh, in the early going. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I would possibly go about trying to prove that I didn't vomit in an Uber car. It's kind of your word seemingly against the Uber driver. How did this couple try to get to the bottom of the scam? Excellent question, Reed. And you know what you might do is try a reverse image search, which is what the couple did. And lo and behold, in fact, the picture that they had received in this email with this charge, this $150 charge, came up and it showed there were there were other examples of this same image of vomit. Uh, so they, they found the, the image online. It had clearly just been grabbed by the person who sent them this email. And from there, they reached out actually to Jeremy at Nine News, and uh, that's where he did a little more investigating. And so, what does Uber say when this couple goes to them and says, "Hey, we think this this driver used fake vomit, and and we don't want to pay this charge." So once they got in touch with Jeremy at Nine News, they were able to contact Uber about the claim, and the charges were eventually reversed. An Uber spokesperson said in an email, wrote. Quote, we apologize for the rider's poor experience. 
So Uber would not actually tell Jeremy or Nine News if the driver and Porter's case was banned, but they did indicate that the dismissal was a possibility. Uh, the email went on to say, quote, in instances where we find a confirmed case of fraud, we take appropriate action, including removing the driver from the app. So they're using the word fraud beyond just dismissing the driver. Is there a crime involved here that we know of? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And from what I understand from Jeremy's reporting on KUSA 9 is that police have typically not gotten involved in something like this. For now, it may be a civil matter between the driver and the passenger and Uber. Honestly, this couple in Denver just wants people to be aware of what's going on, and maybe we all should be. Oh, I just want more people to know about that it can happen. And I feel like, you know, Uber, with their billions of dollars, they could probably put something in their system where people just can't rip a, a photo off of online and take advantage of people. All right, Will, thanks for, uh, for sharing this disgusting story. Yeah, you bet. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. If you're new, we're here five days a week, Monday through Friday. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening. If you're looking for more podcasts, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, along with Will Johnson, I'm Reed Redmond. <laughs>